Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Miles Podcast. This is Stephen Mel, your host. Um, I'm really super excited to have our guest today, and I am a huge fan of his content that he has on Instagram. He does talk about relationships, parenting, and I've just really got some good stuff out there. Um, had 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 his own struggle with infertility. So Ellie Weinstein is a licensed clinical social worker out of New York, and I think more specifically out of Queens, if I'm correct. And he is willing to kind of share his experience and kind of have a discussion about uh, like infertility and that journey. So welcome, yeah. Ellie. Thanks for having me. And uh, update on that uh, location. I'm actually, uh, I moved to Vegas about a month ago. So uh, surprise, I'm in the West Coast. Um <laughs> In the fun, in awesome. the fun, in the sun, and uh, you know, getting the tan going, and the uh, and uh, all that fun stuff. But yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Um, you know, I really appreciate you, Stephen, for always being a fan and and commenting and sharing and uh, making me feel like someone's actually listening, which is really <laughs> nice sometimes when you're posting a lot and you yeah. always get that feedback. So, Stephen, I appreciate all the feedback. Um, it makes me feel like it's all worth it. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. So, I guess like my first question that I kind of wanted to ask is like, how did you? How did you learn about infertility in general? I mean, not about necessarily your infertility, but like infertility as an issue. Like, how did you learn about that? Yeah, you know, it's just so interesting because uh, if you look at the statistics, like one in six or one in eight couples, depending on the study, struggles with infertility in this day and age in America specifically. Um, and uh, my wife and I were, were, were newly married and uh, we we're just struggling to have kids. Uh, my wife has a PCOS. We knew about that. And, you know, we were going to try naturally and regularly uh, as best as we could and see what would happen. And then if it really, you know, stuff hit the fan, we would go towards uh, other options and talk to people. Uh, and the funny thing is, is that um, we had no idea really what was going on and really had to uh, dive into the world of infertility for ourselves we were at like a, a weekend something and someone, it was a, I don't know, some organization came to our synagogue to speak about infertility. And it was the first time that we saw couples that we knew talk about infertility. And we went, what? They had infertility, they have kids. Or they have infertility, we thought they, you know, whatever it was. And it really opened our eyes to uh, go get help. Uh, and we did. We really tried to get help the best way we could. See, it's interesting because, I mean, it's usually the case, at least for men, you know, like, I mean, most men, I think, don't find out until like they're diagnosed or something or they know somebody close to them, you know, because I think about growing up, we're always taught about how not to get pregnant. Right. But they don't see the other side of like, OK, what is the disclaimer yeah. on that? You know, like how like, one in eight couples in the United States. Yeah. And um, I'm always intrigued by like how people learn about it, because it's usually it's one or the other. Like they know they either know somebody or like they haven't found out until they were diagnosed you know, like yeah. with so and the funny thing is that i didn't really see a lot of things on social media about it until i was diagnosed and then it was like all over my brain like i could not not see it it was just there. right it was just so so how did your infertility journey like how did that get started so like you, you met with you know like you said you're either soon ago you met other couples you got information like what what transpired from that yeah, we went, we went to a doctor, and of course, uh, naturally, the focus is usually the woman, right? It's like, oh, it's right. a woman's issue, woman's issue, not a men's issue, which uh, is really false. Uh, about, again, going numbers for a second, statistically, a third of the issues is women, a third of the issues is the male, and a third of the issues is unknown. Um, 
So we went and they tested both of us just to be safe. And it was both mm-hmm. of us. So I felt really shell-shocked. I'm like, what? I don't have a uterus. Like, this is not my problem. I don't have ovaries. Like, this is not my issue. Um, and it was a little bit crushing uh, as, a, a you know, with my manlyhood and all that kind of stuff and ego. Uh, it took a little bit of time to kind of come to an acceptance, not that I wasn't accepting it, um, about making a decision of what to do. So uh, with the issues that we were struggling with and my issues combined all together, we thought that the best course of treatment was IVF, not IUI. Uh, not, you know, Clomid or, or all those medications first. But uh, the doctor, we had a long conversation about it and uh, it made sense for what we had to do. Um, and the journey wasn't so simple, right? It's not like we snapped our fingers, took some shots and ta-da, it was over. Uh, it was daily shots that I had to give my wife for so many months yeah. prior, during. Uh, we had failed, we have two kids and we yeah. had two failed treatments before each kid. So it was just a heart wrenching and, you know, a commitment of every night not being able to go out so late because we had to do the shots and the whole, you know, all these things and seeing our friends, you know, get pregnant and have kids. And it was a long journey. And, uh, but, you know, now we know what we have to do. We know what we have to deal with. It's not any easier or fun. But, uh, and then we started, I, myself included, got really involved uh, in the infertility world. And uh, my wife and I have shared our story a few times. And it's been an interesting, opened a few interesting doors of uh, conversations. Yeah. So with, with IVF, was that a hard conversation to have what, like, or to accept that you had to do IVF? It was either that or not having kids, you know, okay. and adopting, which is not the end of the world if, if no. that's what you have to do, yeah. um, you know, uh, but um, hard was not the word I would think. It was, uh, was filled with a lot of sadness because there might not be a way for my wife to, to get pregnant naturally, which is like a dream of hers. And, and uh, I think for a lot of women who want to have yeah. kids. Um, and then the commitment of what it would entail. And, um, you know, of course, the expenses and things of that nature. It was more of that stuff than like, Oh no, IVF. Or, you know, but it was like, okay, this is the reality, and this is a concept that, yeah. that I. It's a therapy concept. Uh, you know, I am a therapist, so I'll do some plug for mental health. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, called radical acceptance, where uh, you take what the reality is and go, "This is the reality. Now what?" It doesn't mean you like the reality. It doesn't mean there's a silver <laughs> lining. It doesn't mean it's like unicorns and daisies and roses. There's no like. Uh, um, Rose, rose-colored glasses here. The reality is, we had to do IVF. Yep. Okay. Now what? Let's let's process all the stressors. Let's the sadness, the fear, the commitment, the pain of the shots and the treatments and and uh, how long it could take and and what you know all the you know explaining to other people you know especially family IVF, the uh, repercussions of what it could mean for birth and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, those stuff was a stressor. Um, but the conversation itself, we, we, we had to do it. This is what yeah. we needed to do. So through, I know like a lot of, a lot of men and a lot of women, you know, both actually, they struggle to kind of, they had this ambivalence, right? They have this ambivalence between, I want to be hopeful for what's possible, but then also you've been disappointed for so many years, you know, like or so many times you're stuck in that middle and that ambivalence. So I guess like, how would you... 
how did you go get through? I, I don't say get through it because I think and, no, it's a great and, word. Yeah, we we, um, we pushed through it. it. There were a lot of nights of crying. Um, I say this often about my wife that uh, if it, uh, infertility truly caused us to uh, really show up for each other in a way that we might not have had to or needed to um, if we had kids naturally. Uh, it made us rely on each other a lot more. Uh, we became rocks for each other a lot more. Um, doesn't mean we don't mess up and don't have our good, good and bad days as, as right. parents now and as as as, as life. Um, but a- after the failed, the first failed treatment, there was this moment of, why the hell should we do this again? That was so painful. Um, yeah. It was a massive lo- loss. I was at work. Um, I used to work at a clinic, crazy hours. You know, like three nights a week, I was working till ten o'clock at night, just getting my hours to be a, you know, a private therapist and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. My wife called me midday. I couldn't understand a word she was saying. She was like at a pitch and like words were not coming out and we had a failed treatment and she was on the floor of our apartment just in despair and a darkness yeah. that is very sad to see your loved one go through. Um, it was a loss because we put a lot of hope into that, you know, treatment. Yeah of, you know, the doctor saying the percentages and all these things and it's going to go fine and it looks like a good embryo and all these things and the money and the and the effort and the early appointments and the, the doctor's visits and the blood tests. It's just nuts. It's just so much that it just falls apart. You know, it reminds me of like an athlete, right? An athlete works for how many months to train for something, right? Whether it's the Olympics, where it's four years, and within seconds you are you're you're gone. You don't even win the gold. You don't even win bronze. Now you got to do it all over again, right? Now I'm not comparing. You know, I'm nowhere in the same <laughs> shape as an athletic, uh, yeah. an Olympic athlete. I got to work out a little bit more for that. But the the mentality of it was such a committed mentality of like this is going to work, this is going to work. And the second time we were less hopeful. We like yeah. got smacked in the face with some reality about what could happen. Um, and you know, we did our best that we could, we kind of did genetic testing then and knocked out some embryos that were genetically unsound. Uh, I don't know if that's the right terminology unsound. Um, and then with the second one, we thought, okay, great. All those bad embryos are gone. We got all the good ones and we had a failed transfer again. And it was like, my wife said to me, never forget that she looked at me and I, but I had full permission for my wife to talk about this openly. Yeah. Yeah. She looked at me, she goes, I don't know if, uh, I can do this again. Like, I just don't know if my heart and my body can do this again. And I looked at her and I said, yeah. okay, you tell me what you need to do. We'll adopt. We'll get a dog. We'll do something. Right. Um, but if you want to do this, I'm right here giving you the shots. I'm right here holding your hand through the, through the, the procedures. I'm here at every doctor's appointment that I can. Um, and uh, it was a, a hard conversation we went right into it for the second kid. Like after we failed the transfer, we, we did it. We just started right again. But she said, if this one fails, like, I don't know if I have another one in me to do it again. Like, I just don't yeah. know if we could. It's hard, but it's yeah. about hope and staying together and, and being committed to what the goal is and listening to each other without judgment, but a lot of compassion and grace that it's okay yeah. to say, Hey, this really sucks. I don't know if I want to do this again, which then means we're not having kids. Yeah. That statement itself is not dangerous or, or just someone venting and feeling. Right. So that's a big part of the, the process is being open and understanding for each other. 
Yeah, and that's a tough conversation to have. Oh, so hard. I mean, it's I mean, and having to do some really deep soul searching to figure out like, is this something that we can continue to do? You know, yeah. like you also I mean at the financial impact as well. You know, like you put a lot of stuff on hold yeah. because of financial stuff, you know, and, and I that one question or two I think about is at least for me, like so like like I like identifies Christian and all you, you have Judaism or Jewish, right? Yeah. How did that, like, how does your faith, I guess, how does that interact with infertility and what that experience was like? I was so excited when you wrote this question on the email. I love talking about this. It's so, it's so uh, interesting. So I will just give a backdrop to what kind of Jew, Jew I am. Okay. Um, I'm in a, a modern Orthodox Jewish person, which means I, you know, watch TV, I, you know, you know, wear normal clothes, uh, I'm not secluded and in a, you know, bubble of Judaism. I, I you know, I'm, I do normal things in life. Yep. Um, but I practice Judaism, so I pray three times a day, I try to, I try to pray three times a day, I do not <laughs> do it so well, right? I follow the laws of the Torah and the Bible and things of that, I have rabbis that I talk to, all that kind of stuff. Um... There, uh, I got really involved with the rabbi of the community that we were in in Queens at the time who runs an organ, a Jewish organization for infertility. Okay. Uh, and I would talk to him a lot about it. What it entailed and what the law, what the Judaism, it's very split depending on of who you ask, which is like any other thing, right? Yeah. If you ask eight therapists about an opinion on something, you're going to get eight, maybe nine different answers. So same thing with, it's all how you say it, who you are, where you're at religiously, what community the rabbi's from. Um, all I found was love and support from the two rabbis that I spoke to often, who are the people that I, I turn to for, you know, religious guidance. Um, and uh, I'll even tell you, you know, we, we celebrate something called Sabbath every Saturday. Yeah. Um, and we don't we do not do and, and use electricity. Of course, we have timers and we keep things on and we're, we don't sit in the dark and, and don't, you know... Um, and one of the procedures was on Saturday. And we had to do it, timing-wise, with my wife's, you know, cycle and the medication. And the rabbi's like, of course you're going. So stay in the city. Yeah. Rent the taxi, set the taxi up beforehand. You're not missing this. Like, you need to go. Now, let's, let's figure out how you do that. But right. it's happening. And I will say that just from the more spiritual side, uh, I found a lot of comfort and, and in, in prayer and uh, connection and, and support of my community, seeing so many other people go through it, actually, now that I'm more in tune to it, when I started coming out of my story, uh, my wife's and I's story, like six of my mom's friends said, you know, I wish, um, you know, I had the support that you do today because when we went through it, there was nothing involved. Colleagues and friends of mine my age are talking about it with me, reaching out, hey, I heard your story. How'd you deal with this? Um... You know, it's a network, a network of support and love. Um, uh, that's what it's supposed to be, right? That's religion yeah. is supposed to be that community of support. Uh, and that's all I found when it came to this. Um, but uh, caveat is, depending on who you ask and where you grew up, might not be so simple. Um, yeah. Not that they wouldn't allow it, um, but just the answers you get on how to do it might be a little different. Yeah. Yeah, because I know like there's different level. I mean, like there's like the what traditional Orthodox, right? And then the modern, and then you have the more... I don't know what the other one is. Yeah. Right. So communities. 
right? Yeah. You have conservative and reformed Judaism and just the whole spectrum of Jews. It's a great right. question. If I if yeah. I didn't answer it to what you were expecting or hoping, you can ask no. me and I'm more than happy to answer no, it no, in no, a no. different way. Like, you know? that, like that's, what I, that's what I was hoping that you would have that support and so, you know, yeah, cause no, beautiful. I, I, I think from a Christianity standpoint, like, so I consider myself like Methodist, you know, Protestant, right? Um, but I know, like, like you said, there's varying opinions on fertility. And I know from Catholicism, like Catholic Church, yeah. they're one that's definitely that's really against, yeah. you know, like IVF and stuff. So I can imagine how difficult that would be played on your faith if you had to be yeah. going through that, yeah. you know, yeah. decision and, uh, making. And there's, uh, you know, it, for me, it was a, a lot of support and love. And for other people might not have had that experience, depending on where they were living at the time and who they asked. Yeah. Um, but for me, prayer was like huge. I would like cry, like, like God, what's going on? You know, like, let's let, you know, all I want is a family. I've wanted a family since I was 16 years old. I want, you know, to be a father. Um, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a hard, a hard uh, challenge of faith, so to speak. Yeah. But what, what isn't? I mean, like, I literally moved across the country to Vegas from New York. That's a challenge of faith, too. Like, is this a good idea or not? You know, is it smart or not? You know, you just don't know. Well, that's, um, a huge, that's a huge culture shift, too. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I'm loving it. It's a whole, it. yeah, it's a whole I'm different so world. But, like, even so. with the idea of, like, the, uh, the idea that we expect, I think the hard part that really shifts your mindset about infertility, uh, sorry to go off topic a little bit, but... No. Uh, is the idea that uh, we're told that everyone, you know, either you get married or, or you're in a long-term relationship and you have sex and you, you all of a sudden get pregnant if you if you don't wear protection, right? Or right. you don't take birth control. Like, it's just yeah. so easy. Um, and especially in the Jewish community, I will say that the hard thing for us, so many things are centered around, ch- around children in Judaism. A lot yeah. of the holidays... The Passover is about passing on the story of Judaism and Exodus to your children. So you st- keep them up. You have games. You play. You talk. They ask the conversation. There's there's like a Halloween-esque type holiday where the kids get dressed and you go and you have a good party. You know, and then there's this and then there's that. And, and prayers are about kids and the future generations and, and, and passing on the torch kind of thing. And you're just sitting there and you're like, I can't. Uh, and then also seeing... Now, uh, there's a lot of jokes about Jews like having so many kids, right? People have, they have so many kids. Some people have 10 kids. Some people have four. I grew up with only two, my brother and I. But like my sister, my wife's family, there's two sisters. There's three kids, right? And then other families I know have four or six kids, right? So there's kids everywhere. Yeah. And it's just assumed you get married and you have kids. And then you can't. So it's like, what are we doing wrong? Are we not going to fit in in the community Right, which is a huge thing, like not having kids. Are you going to fit in into the Jewish community and the and the synagogue because you're not involved in the other things that the, the other parents are because they have kids? Are we going to make friends because now we don't have kids and we're going to be those the couple who doesn't have children for you know ever? So all this stuff starts playing around in your head, it gives you a lot of worry, a lot of despair, some anxiety, some depression, depressive yeah. thoughts, and you got to work through it. And it's very hard, but you got to find that love and support from people, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I get a test like that. What if thinking, you know, like it's yeah. okay. That gets into that rabbit hole and you spiral, you know, like, and it's, it's hard to get yourself out of that spiral too, you know? And I also know about like trying to establish some control in your life as well, because like you feel all out of control, you know, so I mean, I call it doomscaping, you know, but like you look to find those answers, right? I don't know. Like it's, it's a hard thing to kind of fathom, but like, I didn't, 
But I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that growing up, you're always taught like you could have sex once and get pregnant. And it instills the mentality that pregnancy is easy for everyone. And once you get to that point in your time, like when you're trying to build your family and it's not happening, everybody's shocked. You know, like everybody's like, it's a shocker for them because they're like, what? I've been told my whole life that you have sex once and like, you're going to get pregnant and stuff. And now like I have infertility, like, and no one's taught us this, Yeah. you know? And, and, and I, I think the hard part, I can't speak for my wife, but the hard part for my wife that I know that we've discussed before, and of course I have full permission to, to talk about it is going to synagogue and you gain some weight. And everyone, there's like a clock in people's heads. I don't know if this is just a Jewish community thing or just a women thing. I don't know. Um, and, and I do it too, right? Oh, they've married for a year and a half, two years, three years. Why don't they have kids? So you start watching. Oh, she's, she's not drinking alcohol. Oh, you know, her belly got a little bit, right? And we start judging people's bodies and their actions just because we assume at a certain point, babies yeah right and then we we ask questions that are severely inappropriate right oh yep. are you pregnant no i just gained a couple pounds and then it makes the woman feel so terrible right right or uh you know uh you know like if i gain weight oh you sympathy weight you know no my wife's not pregnant right people start focusing on those things and it's super inappropriate how people cross boundaries because of like the whole baby wanting babies and kind of stuff yeah yeah, I mean, I can definitely attest to that, like looking and I think even after like like my wife and I were successful, we had twin boys who are three, um, three now. Um, they're definitely high energy. Um, but I still uh, every once in a while, like I will still look ill, like at other couples and other families when I'm out shopping or out doing running errands and stuff. And like I see a family of four or five, you know, and I'm sitting there in my head. Oh, that must be nice. They probably didn't struggle. I have no idea if they struggled or not, you know, yeah. like, but it's just like that mentality. It's like, okay, they have four or five kids. Like, I don't know if they adopted. I don't know if some of them are biological and they adopted more. I mean, I have no idea, yeah. but I think there's this idea that infertility, it's like, oh, you're successful. Yeah. We're, we're good. We're, it's all done. And yeah. I, like, it doesn't, like it stays with you, you know, like, and I just, I wonder like how for you, like how some of this infertility has kind of stayed with you even after the success of having your kids. Yeah, the the thing that stays with me the most is like, are we going to have more? Right? Like, you know, I, I love my two beautiful children, you know, Ricky and Max. I'm obsessed with them. I love being a dad. Uh, I enjoy it. You know, it doesn't mean it's not stressful. I enjoy it on the daily, right? I really just uh, yeah. I love, I love, I love them in my life um, and what they do to enhance my life and my wife's life. Um, I feel more whole than I've ever felt in my life because of them. Um, but I want more. Like, I want more joy. I love it. I love being a father. Yeah. Now, my son's six months old, so we got time, right? We got time. <laughs> right. Um, you know, with, you know, she had a, my wife had a C-section, so we have to wait for that and just, so we get some sleep at some point, right? But the back of our mind is, is this going to be another fight? Not between my wife and I. Right. Another fight to have kids. Is this going right. to be a, is it going to be a dog fight? Like, are we going to have to get down and dirty and get this kid? Or are we going to have, is it going to be easy? Should we even try naturally? Or should we just go right to IVF just to skip the pain? Right. So for me, that's it. But the, the shift that I've had is I have so much more compassion for couples who don't have kids and not judging them as much. Right. 
right? So it's more that like, okay, whatever their, whatever their situation is, whatever it is, yeah. who, who cares? Let, let them be. Okay, maybe they, don't, maybe they don't want kids. Or maybe they're having a hard time. Maybe because this one's in medical school and that one's a lawyer. If this one has a job that's crazy hours, maybe they can't do it financially. Whatever the reason might be. Who am I? Why do I care so much? So that's the part that I'm trying to do better at is being more compassionate to people who don't have kids and also to be the person who gives compassion. So I'm there. Like I show up for people if they call because I've gone through it and it will never be the same as my situation. But they, because the reason why I talk about it so often or as much as I can is, uh, is so that people know they have someone to talk to uh, if they would like. It's about you know public speaking and getting out there to speak about male infertility and mental health about infertility. And uh, the hard part is the what if. Like if we do this again, what's going to happen? Do we need to do it again? Like we moved across the country. We didn't move our embryos. So like... Are we going to have to go back to New York to do it? Do we have to move them? How much is that going to cost? It's just an extra layer of things that you would never right. think of, of, of a quote-unquote normal life without infertility. Yeah, yeah, and I can definitely understand where you're coming from with that because we're, we're thinking about having another one, you know, like, but it means doing IVF. You know, like it means doing, I mean, not the full-blown, but I mean, we have a frozen embryo, but it's one of those conversations of like, and you just wish this was easier, you know, but... I struggle. I don't like. I've done some soul searching afterwards. You know, like after we had our kid. You know, like and trying to figure out like what I can do with this experience. You know, like which is wanted to give back to. But I want to go back and ask you a question about. I know that there's a lot. There's research done right that shows, especially for women. I don't. I don't know if there's been a lot of research on men, but especially for women. The psychological distress of receiving infertility diagnosis is equivalent to receiving a cancer diagnosis, right? And I think about other men that even if we don't have male infertility and are struggling with infertility, like in seeing their wives stressed, what do you feel like it's a good way to kind of help manage that? Because it's a tough thing to see. And can be traumatic depending on the situation, you know, depending on who you are, as a, you know, as a person. I, mean, I wouldn't say who you are as a person. It can be traumatic for somebody, some other men and stuff that witness like the distress that some of the women have. Yeah. So just to clarify, are you asking like how should men be able to help their partners? I think it's more for them. Like, I mean, I think that as men, I think we help our partners as much as we can. But I think oftentimes we neglect our own self care and like witnessing that is tough. You know, yeah. and how do we like enhance our own self care, and how do we, I guess, balance to both, right? Of being able to be supportive as for a spouse or partner, like versus as well as being protective of our self care as well. I love that. So the biggest thing I would say is you need to find a tribe of support for yeah. you. Like my wife found support in like three seconds online, and her friends. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's great. I did not. Because I'm a guy and a lot of guys don't talk about things. So it's a little annoying that way. Right? Yeah. First, find your people. Okay? The second thing is, and this is sometimes hard, be honest with your partner what you need. A lot of times we don't ask or share what we actually need. We hide it. We protect ourselves, which is all nice and dandy. But it hurts us in such a deep way. We're not getting our needs met. Yeah. Do you right. feel like like that piece of it though, like by not sharing? Do you think part of that is 
the idea of like not wanting to burden them more because like you see your significant other your spouse partner they're distressed right they're already stressed you're stressed and the idea of like i don't want to or I would say, quote unquote, burden them, you know, like with more stress, you know, of my stuff. I mean, do you feel yeah. like that's a part of like, the mentality kind Huge of? Huge part of it. Huge part of it. Like, uh, let me deal with myself because look at them. They're struggling so much. Right? Yeah. It's hard, right? Because at what at what point, at what cost? Yeah. Right? I, I understand that. And then it's called being aware. Be aware about your partner. See where they're at understand how they show up pay attention to timing right yeah. if, if they're gonna be if they're not gonna be uh that honest or open or whatever it is like you just have to be able to you deserve it to yourself you really yeah. do and it's not that you're trying to be mean by saying how you feel you're being a partner in the relationship you deserve a space to feel and have a space right. to deal with your stuff. Yeah, right? absolutely. So that makes sense. Like, oh yeah, I don't want to burden them. Look how much they're struggling. But so are you. And they're asking you for help, but you can't ask them for help. Yeah. Someone that's gone like through it and just kind of still going through it, but that was one of my downfalls was like, I did not share, right? I mean, and that was the one thing that if I could go back and change it, like I would share, you know, like I would have talked about my struggles and stuff about feeling inadequate, you know, like, and, you know, various other things that have been going on in my head. And I agree, like, we often neglect our own self-care, and we deserve to be able to have that space as well. Yeah, and it doesn't mean, now, I'm not saying that you have to now suck the life out of the room. Now what I'm right. Saying, right? What I'm saying is that you deserve a part of the, you deserve part of the pie. Yeah. Of support and love. Like, you deserve that. And the, this happens so often with men. And it's why I love what I do when I share things on TikTok or social media or Instagram about relationship stuff. Like, it doesn't mean that by asking, you are now taking away focus of your partner. Yeah. Your different needs. You're just shifting focus to you for a little bit, and then it's just back to the... It's like this dance. It's a shifting dance, okay? Like, you take a step forward, they take a step back. You take, They take a step forward, you take a step back. And you do this little dance where you give the spotlight to, another, to the person. Now, what if you're both going through at the same time? What are you going through? You're going through infertility at the same time. This is not an right. I issue or a she issue. <clears throat> this is a we issue. Because whether the, the diagnosis is you, her, or unknown, right? The statistics, right? Third, third, right. third. It's still impacting both of you as a, as a unit, right? So right. you deserve just as much space in that unit to get the love and support and compassion that you need. Now, if you ask for it and you don't get the response that you're looking for, or the need that you you want, say something. Say, hey, that doesn't work for me. Or get help somewhere else. I say this super, a lot of times with relationships. We cannot rely on someone as the whole cup that we're drinking from. My wife does I'm... not give me all the support that I need. I have a therapist. Right? Right. I have friends who are, of course, my wife is my best friend. But it's different. Right? I have guy friends. I have friends that I turn to in a different way. Right? I have... Um, you know, my brother that gives me things differently than my wife will, my parents, right? It's right. just a full, a full picture than just expecting one person to be the sole proprietor of all the support that you think you deserve and need when it's impossible for them to do that. 
So get ask them first. They're right there. They're going through it. They see it. They understand yeah. you. They love you. They care about you. If they can't, find it somewhere else. But if they can, don't not ask because they're going through their thing. Right. Maybe they want you to ask. Maybe they want to hear what you're thinking. Maybe they feel alone in their in their in their fears and worries and guilt and shames and anxieties. Yeah. And by you speaking up, they feel seen because they don't feel like you're the strong man who doesn't feel it and you know is always supporting right. them. Maybe they want that opportunity to support you and feel that you are vulnerable and open and real and that you are feeling things that they might be feeling too. Yeah. And it just opens up an opportunity for misunderstanding as well because like they might see you as as a man like oh well he's not affected by this like i am you know which is not the case because we're not talking about it and they make that assumption right that oh like he's not talking about he doesn't care as much as i do you know like it's like you said i think they're that open conversations is the way to do it so i've got a couple two more questions for you please we often find like when we're coping with infertility the coping strategies that we would normally have done in prior to infertility, like don't work as effectively as we want them to, you know? So for example, like going out with friends, um, what would you recommend like finding those coping strategies, like how to make that work for you? Because like, it's, like I said, there's oftentimes the coping strategies you used to do are not effective anymore because of where you are in your life. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I love this question, but it also is a hard question to answer, right? Because it really depends on the person. Yeah. So like, like for me, uh, I might work out or I might go for a walk or I might drink a nice cup of tea or I might sit out in the sun or, or uh, all those things. I think that it doesn't mean that just because you go through infertility, your self-care stuff that did work won't work. Right. It also means that you need to be aware that if it's not working, to keep trying other things. I will say this as someone who's a therapist and likes research-based things more than and then just anecdotal stuff. Right. But if an anecdotal, like, you know, thing that you saw some guru self-help person or some TikTok video that, you know, try this and you might feel better with your anxieties or pain or fear or whatever it is, look into it. Do your own research that works for you and don't let other people tell you, oh, that's stupid, right? For some people, people go to acupuncture for self-care. Some people think that's ridiculous, mm-hmm. Right? I, I don't know. If it works yeah. for you, great. Some people jump in a cold plunge every day. That would seem like freaking torture to me. So I won't right. do that. Right. But, you know, some people love that. Some people go swimming. Some people, you just, you have to find and keep trying and not just stop at the first one just because it didn't work. And don't worry about what other people think when it comes to self care. Make sure it's healthy. Right? Yeah. I'm saying, like, don't go to like heroin and cocaine just because. You're like, well, this is my self-care. No, we don't want to hurt ourselves, right? We're trying to be safe. <laughs> right. right, absolutely. Now, right now, I'm not here to talk about marijuana and stuff like that that might be helpful. Who knows? That's, you know, talk to your local doctor or uh, whoever you want to talk to. But there are some things that are dangerous. There are some things that are unhealthy. There are some things that have yeah. a very destructive vibe to them. But if it's not, try it. Maybe now yeah. you're going to get into rock climbing. I don't know. Or you're going to get into parasailing. I don't know. Maybe you're going to get into traveling that you never did before. Maybe you're going to buy a new car so you can do more things on the weekends that you didn't do before. Maybe you're going to buy new clothes. I don't know. Yeah. But make sure you're being safe. Make sure you're being aware. Aware is the key yeah. of how it makes you feel and why you're doing it. And if you are aware of what it makes you feel and why it makes you feel that way, find what makes you feel fulfilled, happy, and good. Yeah. So it sounds like being open also to the possibilities of other things that could you could experience. 
that you can find the joy in life. All right, so last question I've got for you is, what is at least one thing that you would want other men to know going through infertility? So the way my brain works, I have ADHD, so I might start with one and say six, so bear with me. That's Um, totally fine. The first one is, and this is an, an easy thing off the bat to say, is that you're really not alone. So stop being afraid to ask. Right? I think that there's this big fear that when you're... I just got emotional on that one. Uh, I know for me, I felt very alone because I didn't see other men talking about it. Not that it wasn't there. Right. Not that I just didn't hear other men. Now, my parents went through multiple miscarriages between my brother and I. And I went to my father to talk about it. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. My father. I was like, yeah. what? Like, you're the only guy who I have a connection with that I know has gone through issues of birth, of infertility, of, yeah. of you know, issues of, 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 you know, miscarriages. No, 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 sorry. I can't talk about it. Right? It was too hard for him. I respect that, right? I wasn't yeah. upset at him. I respect that. Yeah. But you're not alone. So stop hiding. Stop hiding to talk to people about it. People are more loving and compassionate than we give them, especially on hard topics. This is not like, boo-hoo, the Yankees lost the World Series, right? I'm a huge Yankee fan. (laughs) This is not that. This is real emotion and and reality of your life. And friends, real friends, will be there for you. So rely on them. Talk to them. Prep them. Say, hey, I really need to talk to you about something serious. I just, I got to get this off my chest. And and I, I really think that you can, you know, you'd be really supportive and loving for that. Yeah. Just try, ask, don't do it alone and don't do it alone with your partner because they, I promise you, the women are getting help and there are 3,000 Instagram accounts for women and support groups on Facebook and support groups in person run by therapists. But men, do you know, I I volunteer for this organization. I'm not so involved as much anymore because of life. They asked me if I would run a men's support group and I said no because no one's going to show up because I tried it. Yeah. No one shows up. I literally have taken support phone calls in this organization where the wife is screaming at the man to get on the freaking phone to talk to me for five minutes. Yeah. Stop being afraid to talk about it. You're not any less weak. You're not any less of a man. You are more of a man because you're vulnerable and that makes you a human. That makes you a full person. This is hard. Infertility is hard. Don't do it alone because you're not alone. There are hundreds of thousands of men who are going through it on the daily. So start talking about it. Start blogging about it. Start podcasting about it. Start speaking about it. Start journaling about it. Just get it out of your head. Don't keep it to yourself because I promise you there's someone out there who needs you to speak up about it just as much as you need yep. someone who has been speaking about it. So yeah. you're not alone about that. Yeah, and that's a great point too. Um, I think I like to use a lot of visuals. So like I'm in social work as well. I just think about you pouring all of your emotions, right? If you pour all of your emotions into this vessel, right? Or whether that's a humongous like gallon jug right and you keep pouring your emotions in and not letting anything out it's eventually going to do what it is going to overflow and then when it overflows then you have more of a mess to clean up with because you're either going to snap you know like or you're going to get into an angry mood and then that's going to be conflict with your other and by holding it inside you're just, it's like a ticking time bomb, right? You're just waiting it for it to explode and then you're gonna have this huge mess and then it's the cycle continues, right? But if you take those drinks out of the jug as self-care as 
sharing what you're going through, you know, like finding that self-care, finding those strategies, you know, that, that help you kind of be more present in the moment when you have that anxiety, doing some of those drinks to kind of help you make sure that you're not overflowing and get to that point of, oh, great, now I'm at a 10, you know, like, and I have to write it out. Yeah, I love that a lot. You know, uh, you're talking about the metaphor that I think Dr. Julie, Dr. Julie, someone, I forgot her, she's British. She has yeah. a big gallon jug and she like drills holes in it in different sizes and, you know, smaller ones and bigger ones that we just have to release it. And uh, if we feel that we have to carry all that weight by ourselves, we're very wrong and we're going to be crushed by it. And, yeah. Um, and it's unfair to ourselves. Like I said before about the support with your partner, it's unfair. You deserve a space to be, just to be. Yeah. All your feelings, everything, without judgment, without compassion, without 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 hate, without you know, dismissiveness, but love and compassion and grace. And and if you find that person, or it's a, ther- a therapist, a social media account, a partner, a friend, a neighbor, a random stranger in some why that you're playing basketball in, like don't be afraid to do it. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time that you took out today and love love talking to you about this stuff so i will make sure so make sure he also has a podcast of his own so the dude therapist right so it's not just for dudes nope no i'm a dude who's a therapist that's really (laughs) yeah i thought it was catchy i get that yeah no it's it's a great podcast i've listened to some episodes it's good he's got good stuff out there um and I will make sure like to post his social media as well um, in the episode and ways that you guys can connect with him. And the one question I will leave for the men out there that are listening and some of the women too, because are both that listen actually, is ask yourself how much mental weight is infertility giving to you right now? And think about a number about how much and imagine that weight on like you carrying a backpack with that weight carrying with you every single day and figuring out what can I do to make sure I lose some of this mental weight. So, yeah. So I will leave you with that. I thank everybody for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Thank you for listening to the miles podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Miller. And if you could like subscribe, or leave a comment about this episode that would be greatly appreciated so people more men and other people could find it please follow me on instagram and twitter and keep the conversation going and i thank you for listening and walking along this miles long journey